Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. Well, this morning I get the great pleasure of introducing our speaker this morning. Um, You know, as I said just a few minutes ago, the whole concept of clergy and laity doesn't exist in the scriptures. We're all the people of God with different functions and different callings. And how many know that Peter and the apostles, how many know none of those were seminary graduates? Did you know that? Not one of them was a seminary graduate. Um, You know, God uh, raises up people. He's still the head of his church, and he's still raising up people with different functions and different giftings and different callings. This morning, uh, in a few minutes, I'm going to introduce Ted Patrone, who happens to be my brother, and, and my brother, and my sister's brother. Where is she? There she is. Stand up, Louise, so everybody knows who you are. You know, I always, there she is, and my brother-in-law, Paul. Um, you know, I, I, sometimes when people are new to the community, they'll say to me, like, what's the deal here? Like, so many, are you married all to each other? And, well, yes, we have. A lot of us have married each other. And one Sunday, we're going we're gonna to spend a day just telling you how interrelated we all are. And you will be shocked. Um, But anyway, I I say this to say, Ted is not coming up this morning because he's uh, our brother. Uh, He's coming up this morning as our brother, everyone in this room, but because um, of Ted's life in God. Um, Just a a, a personal note, um, when our dad was 57 years old, uh, he, he died he died, and that left Ted 14 years old. He was a 14-year-old uh, at the time. I was 10 years older. Louise was older than me. <laughs> and um, it was a very difficult time for our family because he was a really very much central, uh, very much central to, to, to our family, very much the gel that kept our family. And um, it was quite a blow to us. But I can tell you, that it was the blow that God used as the door to bring us all to himself. But during that time, you know, in some ways, Ted is kind of like uh, uh, son and brother to Joe and to me. Uh, We've um, delighted that Ted and Seal have made their way back to Long Island after living in Connecticut for how many years? Over 25 years. Uh, and I have to tell you something. God is so faithful. When you guys moved uh, to Connecticut, it was a really a hard thing for me. And the Lord said to me, he said, I know, but I'm going to bring him back one day. And I'm just here to tell you, I had no faith to believe that at all. <laughs> I, I don't know that I ever really, really believed it. And so it today means so much to me because in so many ways, because it's God's way of saying again, I'm faithful, and I I told you I was going to bring them back, and whether they wanted to come back or not, God wants them here, and I believe that. I believe that Ted and Seal are in this community at this hour for just such a time as this. Um, Ted is the president of a a company called Navios Holding. Um, I'm just going to do a little bragging for a minute. Um, Extremely, we are extremely, Louise and I and and, uh, 
Joe and Paul. We're extremely proud of Ted. He's an extremely successful businessman. He's the president of the shipping company. It's a Greek shipping company that owns and it incorporates uh, a few corporations. And uh, he's uh, uh, wonderful at what he does, I understand. I've talked to the people he works with. Some people know him real well. And, but even more than that, Ted comes to us this morning as a man of God. Um, Ted got saved, as I said, around the same time we did. He was 14, around 14. And I'll, I'm not going to tell you the whole testimony. But, um, but every, every church, he's giving me the signs, shut up and sit down. But I'm the oldest sister. I can do what I want, right? Um, he has been in leadership in every church he's ever been in uh, because the leaders have recognized uh, the gift in him. And not I, I want to say gift. I want to say the heart in Ted for the people of God and the heart in him for Jesus Christ himself. So um, we, you know, we said to him, you know what, we're giving you a date and we want you to look to the Lord and because we know that the Lord is going to give you something for the church. So I know that you will be extremely receptive. I know those of you that have gotten to know him, love him already. It's hard not to. And Seal as well. And their four kids who are not here at the moment, right? Nobody's here? Not, not the boys or the girls? We don't let wives get in and talk. You know, we, we just say, um, we don't let the wives get up and tell us all the details they want to tell us, right? But uh, we really are thrilled to have uh, Ted come and, and give us what God's put on his heart. So will you give him a big welcome, please? Go, Ted. button I wasn't supposed to switch, I switched. Thanks, baby. You know, um, thank you, Lenny. Um, I, I love you. I love Louise. Paul and Joe, you were um, very instrumental in when my dad died, our dad died, and, you know, the wind got knocked out of my sails as a sailor, I can say that. And um, as you said, it was not only the worst thing, but it was the best thing that happened to us because it brought us to the Lord. But it was interesting listening to my sister speak because I feel like I'm at my own funeral. It was great. I mean, it was, it's wonderful. Be that, could you both be that nice when I'm, okay? I know you're older and maybe, uh, it's okay. Okay. Can you see this up here? Sorry, it's, 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 I didn't realize we had a dark background. You live and learn. That's no, okay. Because the rest should be okay. Um, Joe was saying about it's been a week, it's been a fast week. Well, it's been a fast week, two weeks for me, because I've been traveling and I just got back Friday night. And um, the last time I was here, I, I talked about what a great night show we might see, the handiwork of God. If you walked out and you saw the sunset and you saw the, the, the meteors, and it was going to be a great night, and lo and behold, the clouds came in, we couldn't see anything. So God had his way. So anyway, I just wanted to show you that, because that's what you missed. Um, <laughs> But it reminds me of a story about Billy Graham. You know, he was giving a sermon at uh, a city that wasn't in his home field. Of, you know, it wasn't hometown. It wasn't the Bible Belt. It's Detroit or Vegas. I can't remember where it was. And you know how the Billy Graham, they, everybody knows he's coming. He's coming. 
And it was an outdoor venue, and it rained Friday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Everything was filled, but it rained. And the press was on Billy. You know how the press wants to needle Billy a little bit. And they said, Billy, this is God's will. Why is it raining all the time? He said, you know, guys, I don't know. But he says, um, I'll tell you one thing. I'm in sales. If you want to know, you have to speak directly to management. So, so I don't know what happened last Sunday, but talk to management about that. You know, what I'd like to do is talk about three words called sit, walk, and stand. And really, it's part testimony about where God's been working in my life and some of the recent pain I've had in my life, personal issues. And, um, you know, God gets your attention through pain a lot of times. And so what's happened to me, I just want to share with you. So it's really kind of a testimony. And the spotlight that God put on my life, maybe he did a little bit for you. Maybe you're out there too. And the, the three words I want to talk about come from the book of Ephesians. Obviously, sit, walk, and stand. And we'll talk about them. But I want to end in a very unusual way. Um, my burden is really about sitting and being seated with Christ and understand that we're seated with him and sitting with him. And that's how we get our, our really the flow of Lord's power through us to walk and stand correctly. Now, if that's the case, some of us who are going 1,000 miles an hour, you know who you are, are walking and standing without sitting first. And you're going to maybe crash and burn, I don't know, hit some pain. But that's where I was, and that's where I am. And God's, God's slowing me down on that. And I'm going to end with some paintings. One of them you know very well. Some very famous paintings to give you an art display of the difference between two sisters, not Louise and Linda, Mary and Martha, one who knew how to sit and one who didn't know how to sit, who was just walking and standing on her own. Paul writes in Ephesians um, these three words. And he talks about sitting, our position in Christ, and we'll go through this, we'll go through the scriptures, and we talk about walking, meaning our conduct in the world. How do we walk amongst our brethren? How do I talk and walk with you, and how do I talk and walk with the people outside that aren't saved? I mean, how do I do that as a Christian? Paul is very interesting about how he got so deep, but be so practical at the same time. And how do I stand before the enemy? I mean, we have three relationships, one with God, one with people, saved and unsaved, and then we have a relationship with the enemy. What's our relationship? We're at war. That's our relationship with him. But there's a relationship. And, and I want to talk about that. You know, Paul was, did some very deep teachings. And Peter said, you know, some of the deep things that Paul talks, I, I don't get it. You know, here's Peter, the, uh, Paul, one of the most educated men in the world. And there was Peter, one of the, probably the least educated men in the world. Both pillars of the church. God's no respecter of person, saints. It doesn't matter who you are. You can be a pillar of the church. What did Jesus talk about that was so deep and he made it so practical? He talked about a little bit of sin in your life that you need to get rid of. And how did he talk about that? He talked about it with just bread, a woman baking bread and leaven. Very interesting. And, and he talked about, how do I get justice? You know, we're coming up on the 50th anniversary of Martin Luther King's speech. And how do I get justice? And he talked about a woman knocking on the judge's door at night, right? I want justice. Very interesting how he brought these parables. And here's an interesting one. How, how do they talk about the great question, who's my neighbor? He described it with the aftermath of a mugging. Very, you know, muggings were probably very common back then. There was no lights. There wasn't a lot of... There were Roman soldiers, but they didn't care if somebody was mugging somebody else as long as it didn't 
create a, a, a nuisance to everyone. All these practical things had such deep spiritual meanings. And Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, is really a high point in terms of God bringing out his message through the Apostle Paul. And, and you know, it's interesting that God, and through Paul, divides life into three different sections, sit, walk, and stand. Um, I was thinking about how many things in life are divided into threes, time, past, present, and future, us, body, soul, and spirit, um, primary colors, right? There's three, is there three primary colors? God, I got that right. Um, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and of course, the wonderful U.S. government, divided into, <laughs> how's that working out for us, huh? I'm going to make one, don't worry, they're going to get scared. I'm going to make one political statement here. We're all wrong. Democrats, Republicans, independents, conservatives, liberals, saints, at the end of the day, what really matters is what's gone through the cross. There's no right or wrong. You know what politics is doing, saints? Listen, I'm for it. I want the guy to vote. I, you know, I want to, to live peacefully. But all politics is doing is, re- is rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic until it goes down. That's all we're really doing. It's really, at the end of the day, it's not going to be, it's going to be those of us who learned to sit versus those who didn't at the end because there's a couple of different judges. We'll get into that. Let's just talk about sitting. Can you see that? Yeah, okay. So, in Ephesians, the first part I'm going to talk about is where the Father brings Jesus seated him in higher places. And then the second verse is where the Father takes us and sits us next to him. Ephesians 1.20, which he, which he, the Father, worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principalities and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. Now let's get to us, Ephesians 2, 5, and 7, where Paul talks about us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, right? we didn't care, we didn't know God, we didn't care, he made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised up us together with Christ, or, or together, and made us to sit together in heavenly places with Christ. Saints, the, the, the whole idea about sitting and being seated with Christ is that that job's already done. Our, it's interesting our journey on earth doesn't begin with a big do. It begins with a big, it's done. And we need to sit and rest in that. Now, you're going to say, I, I, need, I need a book. How do I, how do I get into it? Give me the one, two, threes. How do I get into that? Sorry. It's an individual journey. It's like riding a bike, saints. I can explain it all I want to you, but you got to do it on your own. You know, it's interesting because the secret of success is not doing but sitting in under Christ. It's just, it's just opposites, right? Christianity is about opposites, isn't it? That's why, the, that's why, saints, that's why the people out through those doors don't get it, right? Sorry, if you want to be first, you've got to be last. If you want to live, you have to die. If you want to be a leader, you have to be servant of all. And if you want to possess everything, you should give it all away. Saints, what's up is down in the kingdom because it's not common sense that gets you there. That's why Paul was so far away from the kingdom before... Damascus, the road to Damascus. He was so educated, he was as far away as he could be from the kingdom. It's very interesting about opposites. Let me just give you two opposites, and I came across it, and it's a little bit of a tangent point. You know, Moses and Jesus had opposite jobs. Moses came to us enslaved people, and he said, you know, you're actually free. That's the good news. The problem is, Jesus came to a free people and said, 
you're really slaves. See, we call it good news, but the saints out there, or the, or the, the, the souls out there, that's not good news to them. You tell me I'm, I'm, I'm a slave. I'm, I'm in America. I'm free, man. I can do what I want. You're a slave to something, right? You're a slave to your career or to your alcohol or, or to whatever, right? As Bob Dylan said, you've got to serve somebody in that song, right? It may be the devil. It may be the Lord, but you have to serve somebody. So in essence, we're sitting first, and it really started right from the beginning. Think about it. When God created the heavens and the earth... He, he worked for six days, and then he rested on the seventh. We were made on the sixth day, and our first full day was Sunday. Well, Sabbath. So we really, our first full day is resting. I mean, the, the church went from, the Jewish people went from worshiping on Saturday to Sunday back then, firstly because Christ rose from the dead on the first day of the week, but they also did it because they understood the week starts with resting in him. The week, the week starts with sitting and being seated, and taking that whole, the, all those scripts that I just read, that whole um, picture of being seated with Christ and bringing it down on a Sunday into them, and that's what we need to do, saints. We need to take that whole revelation and receive that revelation. Now, how do we get revelation? Well, that's another good question. You know, the whole thing about getting revelation, saints, is Christianity is a lot more subtraction than addition. It's not what I can read. It's not what I can learn. To a certain extent, it's getting out of the way and letting God do what he's doing in your soul and spirit. It's, it's, it's a really a lot of opposites. And this position that we have in Christ, this seated position we have in Christ, saints, it's not something you acquire. Let, let me put it this way. It's not some cosmic SAT test that the smart guy next to me gets and I don't. It's not something you acquire. It's nothing... It's nothing you know what it is? It's, it's something you need to realize because the reality in the heavenly places that you're already seated with Christ. I know some of you know this, right? But sometimes we need to hear it again just to go, oh yeah, I am seated with Christ. I do reign above all the powers in the darkness and everything else that's around me. The truth is, saints, we try to make ourselves more holy. The same, you can't make yourself your holy. You're just holy and you don't know it yet. You know, saints, it's, it's, and the revelation is, how do I get revelation? Well, the best way I can explain this I'm going to stand in the sun here. It's like, how do I receive the light? How do I get a tan? How do I do it? Well, just go out in the sun. Well, no, how do I do it? Well, just go out in the sun. The sun will do the rest, right? It's so hard, but it's so easy at the same time. You know, there's some observations about Revelation. It's not something to be attained. It's someone you meet. It's someone you meet, and his name is Jesus. And so you take this whole sit, seated process. And as I got a lot of this, saints, from a book called Sit, Walk, Stand uh-huh, uh, um, by Watchman Nee. And it was a book that was in my life 30 years ago, and it's come back into my life again. And, and it, it resonated in my life that I was missing something, and I was something that I had to go back and see. And the whole point was I understood the whole seated thing. I, 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 you know, up here I got it. But I have to get it down here. And the first step in doing that is realizing I don't have it here. It's like Alcoholics Anonymous, right? What's the first step in becoming a cured? It's knowing I'm an alcoholic. And to say, you know what? I don't have that. I need that revelation. That's really the first. That's all God wants. He's going to do the rest. That whole point about it coming in. And that's why you, I've been reading a lot of saints uh, from, the, from the Catholic Church these days. 
You know, some of my Catholic, I came from the Catholic Church, and I really wasn't very happy after I left because anyway, whenever you leave something, you're a little bit upset with them for a while. The problem is you reflect them for a long time. But the saints who really got it in the Catholic Church really got it. And they understood this whole thing about, I need to sit, not only do, am I seated, I need to sit with him on a daily basis. And I need to sit in front of him and let him speak to me. Here's my testimony, saints, and, I, this, and I'm, this is why I, um, it's hard to share some things, but I, I've been a Christian since I was 17, and um, I felt the Lord said to me one day, you know, Ted, it sort of went like this, really. How long have we been friends? You know, how long have we know each other? 40 years. He said, good, I want to tell you something. Could you just kind of be quiet a little bit? Actually, it was a bit more Brooklyn to it. I honestly felt the Lord said to me, could you just shut up and sit down? I've been trying to talk to you for 40, I can't get a word in edgewise with you. All your prayers to me, you know, I had the, I had the, the hour of the clock. Listen, I'm not telling you I had a great prayer life. I'm just telling you when I did it, this is what I did. I had the clock and it was five minutes and I did Thanksgiving five minutes, right? I did this, I did it. And I, all I did is talk, 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 talk. And the Lord said, well, that's fine, but isn't this supposed to be a relationship? Aren't you supposed to be, isn't there, isn't there some quiet time where I'm supposed to talk back? And the Lord directed me to Psalm 4610, be still and know that I am God. Um, how do you be still? Here's the opposite again. How do you be still and know that I am God? I mean, shouldn't it be read more and find out that I'm God? Do more? Pray more? It's be still. It's an opposite. Do you get that? It's, it's, it shouldn't be. It's an oxymoron. The Message Bible, which I love, by the way. Sorry, but you know what it says? Step out of traffic and take a long, hard look at me. Above politics, above everything. And can I say something, saints, to all of us who live on Long Island? That's a great verse. <laughs> and, and, I, and honestly, I lived on Long Island for the first 25 years of my life, about. Went away, came back, saints. I traveled to some of the most busy, I was just in Athens. I'm going to be in Beijing and Tokyo next week. I go to some of the busiest places in the world. Long Island's right up there. Saints, you need to step out of traffic. You're in one of the fastest paced places in the world. You don't think so because you grew up here. But I went away and came back. Saints, this is moving. Uh, just give me one silly little example. When I'm up in Connecticut, just even just that little far away. If I'm thinking of changing lanes, I can think about it. I'm going to go. Maybe I'm going to go, right? <laughs> The moment I think about that space, it, somebody's got it, right? <laughs> right? I mean, it really, honestly, kind of ticks me off. <laughs> so I have to get over that. There was a story many years ago, and if you think it's just today, it's been through history. There was a story of an of a English missionary uh, in the 1800s who went to Africa, saved a particular village, and then came back and used them to go farther into, the, into, the, uh, into Africa to get other villages to come to Christ. And being a typical Englishman, he set everything up and he just pushed, pushed, pushed. They got everything and he had all his 20 people bringing everything with him and they went and, they, and he just pushed them through the jungle, pushed, pushed, pushed three days. And the fourth day, they, he got up and he said, okay, let's go. And, and they said, we're not going. He said, what, what do you mean you're not going? We have to go save lives. And the, the leader said to him, listen, you've been pushing them so long. Their soul is a day behind. Their soul needs to catch up with their body. And I think, saints, for some of us, that's what we've been... I, I, saints, I was there. I can tell you, it's taken a long time for me to realize my soul's back there. As a matter of fact, 
God said to me, listen, you've been running around for 10 years. How about all those Sabbaths you miss? 10 years times 52, 520, a year and a half? I don't know. I mean, it's a lot of Sabbaths. And he wants some of that back. Now, a lot of that happens internally with us too, right? It's not, they have to go, listen, you'll, you'll see me the next year and a half, unfortunately. It's not like you have to go away. But saints, we need to slow down. Take the picture of being seated with Christ and sit with him and let him speak to us. Uh, you may be there, right? For all you out there, that you may be there. I wasn't. I'm still not, but I'm getting there. Let's talk about walking. So once you have seated with Christ, what do we do then? How do we, how do we witness to the world? Well, look at Ephesians 4. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling in which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He speaks about standing, and the word standing comes up a few times. And he speaks about being seated, and it happens. But he talks about walking eight times. Eight times in, in Ephesians, if you get the right um, version, it talks about walking. And he says to walk worthy of the calling. Saints, walking describes the practical outcome of being seated. It really just the life of Jesus. It's simply just the life of Jesus flowing through you, right, as you walk and you, as you speak to everyone. The problem is we try too much. So I made some rules. First rule is don't try, but trust. Rule two is when you're done, tired of trying, see rule one. And, and that's, that's, we have to keep it simple for those of us. You know, it's interesting. Think about what Jesus did. He, he, in John chapter 5 and other places, he says, um, they said, why did you have a particular thing? He said, I'm just doing what I see the Father doing. Right? I, I'm not... I'm not just going out doing what I want. This is Jesus the Christ talking, right? I'm not doing what I want to do. I'm doing what I see him telling me to do. It's an amazing thing. So if he does that, what should we be doing? Basically the same thing. There's an old story that we should be like the moon that's out there. It was a full moon a few nights ago. Um, the moon does simply one thing. It reflects the light of the sun to the earth, S-U-N. We should be reflecting the light of the S-O-N. That's all we should be doing. We're reflectors. That's, that's what the church is. That's our walk, right? Like, like some of the saints said, and witness every day sometimes use words, right? Pastor Joe was talking about this, actions, that type of thing. We need to be walking in a way worthy so people say, you know, I smell something different about you. You're not, you're not like everyone else. What's the story here? Um, the old, that great prophet called the Newsboys have a a verse in a song, and they say, have you forgotten who you are? Have you forgotten whose trip you're on? It's a, one of your favorite songs, Just Stay Strong, right? I love that song. Sometimes we forget, saints, who we are, where we're seated, and what we should be doing, and whose trip it is. I would love it to be my trip, but it ain't, right? We're all really self-centered at the end of the day. It's his trip, and we're going through, once we're saved, our job is to preach the gospel to those who aren't saved, and also build up the church, right? All the saints being built up. Can you imagine trying to live out the Sermon on the Mount without sitting and, and, and sitting and understanding what the Christ flowing through you is first? Think about the Sermon on the Mount. You know, Jesus said, you've heard that it was said, but I say this. Right? You've heard it was said. He said it seven times, eight times. Um, could you be a Christian? Can you walk rightfully so without sitting and understand, how am I going to turn the other cheek? When somebody slaps me and they slap me, and, you know, they did it not because I deserved it. I mean, I'm going to get 
I'm not going to be very happy about that, are you? Can you do that without the life of Christ flowing through you? How do you do that? Are you going to walk the second mile with somebody you hate? And how about loving it? What's up with that? Loving your enemies? Give me a break. Am I going to love the Taliban or the Iranians? God calls us to love those people. They're just as lost as my neighbor. I don't know how to do it, but I'm saying he tells us to do that. That's what we should do in walking. Saints, the secret of our success is resting in him and sitting. That's where we get the power for walking. Do you get the theme? Do you get my thing? Okay. Okay. Standing. I, I am going through this quick, saints. The book, I would love you to read the book. Uh, Watch Venice. Sometimes, you know, it's, a, it's not a book that he wrote. Of all the books that they have about Watch Venice, he really just wrote one book. They're all just his preachings. And sometimes they translate it in Chinese and English. Sometimes I get, me, it's a little bit hard sometimes. But I can tell you, it's a wonderful book. And I'm just going over the surface and going over it quickly because it's a Sunday morning. I'm going a mile wide and an inch deep, and I'm going through it quite quickly. But I'm just kind of alerting you. I'm like the buoy out there. You know, when, when the ships, that's what I do, shipping. Um, uh, well, I, our company buys and sells ships. And um, you have a Raycon buoy, which is, there's always buoys along the way. But there's one particular buoy right at the beginning that's stronger and sends out a signal if there's no, um, what do you call those things? No, the spotlights out there. The, the lighthouses, that's it. I forgot already. We don't even use them anymore. You know, the kids that graduated the college that I went to maritime, so they press a button and the satellite tells them exactly the latitude. They don't even do the, the things we used to do in the old days. But, but that Raycon buoy is a signal. You're coming up on land. You better be careful. And that's the same thing with us saints when we do this. We need to be careful that when we're going forward, if God steps up on a Sunday morning, and I don't expect this to hit with everybody, but I do expect somebody out there is like me. You're the Martha who's running around and not the Mary. You know, we're, at the end of the day, we're all Marthas on our way to being Mary. But if you're more Martha than Mary like me, then please just hang in with me as I go through this. So let's, let's go through Stan somewhat quickly. Ephesians six eleven. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. So, standing. Again, walking is a relationship with those people out there, and, and you and my brothers and sisters in here. But there's also a relationship, again, with the enemy, Satan, and we need to stand against him. But here's the interesting thing. Our, our, Jesus' warfare was offensive, right? We're the defensive unit. Jesus went and took it back. Right? He took everything back, and it belongs to him now. And we have to stand and hold the ground. Jesus was on the cross. Think about it. It's kind of a funny thing, but sorry, I didn't mean it that way. It's kind of a strange thing. You think about it. They're nailing Jesus to the cross, and all the demons are going, yeah, this is great. We killed God. He was going to come down and build up this. He was going to rule the world, and we did it. And then Jesus goes, it is finished. And they go, wait, what? What was that? I, that didn't sound good. You know, Beelzebub, what's, did we make a mistake here? They did. They made the biggest blunder of all time. Jesus came and took us back, took the earth back, took everything back. And so what do we do? It's, it's not our job to come in and say to Middle Island, we, we're taking, we are taking this ground back. That's incorrect, saints. It's already ours. We need to do what the Roman soldiers did. You know, the Romans were actually very good conquerors, right? I mean, they conquered. 
but they had different uh, military tactics for conquering and different formations for holding ground. And one of the formations for holding ground was the word stand actually means hold your ground. And everybody understood that back then. Why? Because the Roman soldiers had something very interesting. They used a two-edged sword more than... They made it worthwhile to have a two-edged sword. You know, two things... Just here I go over here, I go my tangent points again. Two things changed history before the nuclear bomb. The double-edged sword. It really changed warfare. Front and back, cutting. And here's a little thing. My sister Linda here, who rides horses, may be interested. You know what really changed warfare? The stirrup. The stirrups. Once people realized I could move armies instead of 10 miles a day, almost 100 miles a day, it completely changed warfare in the world. And it was like a nuclear bomb of the day, and they went, wait a minute, I can put soldiers on this, you know, bingo. So the Romans were very good at doing a lot of things, and they had about a three-meter square ground. This is when they were holding ground when the Germans and the Northern started coming in. They decided to change their tactics. And so you, it was like a zone defense in football. I mean, if your buddy on the side was getting, that zone was getting flooded, you say, you stand here. This ground was yours, and you're going to die if that ground is given up. That's your ground. It's nobody else's ground. And that's what the Romans did very well. And so I want you to get a picture of that in your head. This is Middle Island, Brookhaven, Long Island. This is our ground. We're here, and saints, we have to lay down our lives to make sure it stays in, his, in the Lord's domain, right? I, I think we should be praying for everywhere else in the world. I think we should be praying for the hot spots. I mean, I go to Europe. It's so post-Christian. It makes me cry sometimes. Still, and I went there a couple years ago, and we had dinner in an old church, pizza parlor, right? And the whole oven was up where the altar should be. I mean, it's just sacrilege. Seriously, but that's what's going on. It's not even a, a, um, the people I work with in Greece, it's, it's, it's not even an option. I mean, it's just something, it's very cultural. You know, they go to church uh, on, on Christmas and New Year's and a few days, and everybody goes. But it's just, it's there, it's gone. But, but that's there. We should be praying for them. But it's here where the fighting is, where we need to, we need to say, this is my, it was about a three meter square area. And we should say, this is it. This, I'm, I am, this, I'm, you know, I'm sinking with this ship. I'm going down with this ship if it goes down. This is my ground. And Satan, and it's not just the physical ground, Satan, it's your families, my families. You know, the people that you work with. That's my territory. I'm standing on this ground. You can't, sorry, I'm getting away with standing, but I guess the Spirit's leading me. And the weapons of warfare. You know, the weapons of warfare in Ephesians, what are they? Helmet, breastplate, the shoes, um, they're all defensive. They're all defensive, except the sword of the Spirit, which is both, right? Offensive, defense. All those weapons Paul talks about are very defensive. It's to protect you when you're in warfare, the shield. All defensive things. The sword of the Spirit, being the Word of God, is really the secret weapon, right? On ammunition, in the name of Jesus. In, in, in Luke, the, uh, the, the uh, disciples come back and they say, this is really cool, Jesus, because they say, the demons are subject to us in your name. I mean, they were having fun. <laughs> yes, they're not demons. And in Mark 16, Jesus says, in my name, you'll cast out demons. So, saints, it's sitting, right? Our relationship with the Lord. Walking with saints and then standing against the enemy in my family, in my business, in, 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 in Middle Island, the Brookhaven area. 
Okay. Before I get to the artwork, I have a thought. I just want to share with you. I was, and I'll tell you where I got the thought. You may think this is funny. I was floating in a saltwater pool in Athens. <laughs> because I was just thinking. It, they put so much salt in the water, you couldn't, you couldn't go under. I mean, I was just floating. It was wonderful. And I thought about this. Remember um, in, Ma- in Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, 5, 6, and 7, at the end, Jesus says, um, many are going to come to me in, my, in, at that, in that day, right? They're going to come to me and say these things. They're going to say what? Didn't I prophesy and do wonders in your name? I.e., didn't I walk very well? Didn't I cast out demons in your name? I, I did, but, and I stood very well. So therefore, God, I walked well. And I stood against the enemy very well. Let me in, baby. Open the gates. Here I go. Party time. What did Jesus say? He didn't say, well, you know, you're kind of close, a little tinkering. Maybe we could have got it better. You're kind of off a little bit. As C.S. Lewis said, it's like making a horse into a bird. It just couldn't be done. I mean, this is such a leap of... What happened is, what did Jesus say? He was very very upset, like he was talking to the Pharisees. And these are Christians he's talking to, right? It's the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He said, depart from me. Now, it's not going to hell. It's two different judgments, but... He said, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. What else? He said, I never knew you. I think when that day's over and we look back on it, millennials from now, it's going to say that was the day of the great reversal. What up was up, what was down, what was down, what was up. Many great things that we see that were Christian that did works. Jesus said, you know what? It really wasn't you. It wasn't me doing it through you. It was all you. So I, I kind of can't let you into the wedding banquet. You're going to have to stand outside and wait. I, saints, I, that scared the heck out of me. I don't want to be out there. And I'm not sure if I'm out there. I'm, I don't know. I can tell you. I don't, I'm not sure where I am. And, and we need to make sure of that as we walk through life. I'm trying to make this happy and fun, but it's kind of a little bit. <laughs> sorry. You know, I want to end up with some art that imitates life. I think I have the... We're going to talk about two sisters, Martha and Mary. And I'm going to do it through pictures, through, through paintings from a very famous painter. Because the last painting or, or, or etching actually basically almost melted me when I saw it in the museum because I pressed a button and they told the story and I'm going to tell you the same story. So let's just talk about Martha and Mary welcoming Jesus to the house. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened up her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat, sat, at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted with all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and said, Lord, don't you care what my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to go help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. The few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Saints, echoes of the Garden of Eden. Martha goes to the Lord and says, this is your, you gave me this sister. And you, what does he say? Do you care my sister left me? Go tell her to help me. You know, isn't that like, it's like me. I'm not the problem. She's the problem, right? I'm doing all this work. And look what she's doing. You're here. You're an important rabbi. And he thought, he's, Jesus go, you know what? You're right. Martha, you're right. Mary, get busy. Get to work. He did just the opposite, right? He said, you're so, basically he said, you're so off base. My sister, you don't even get it that you're off base. And I think, honestly, that's where some of us are. I'm, I was running a thousand miles. I didn't even realize I was so far off base. Listen, I haven't got there, 
But I'm like, Alcoholics Anonymous, I get it now. I understand where I am. And I need to know where I'm going. Somewhere we're all on the, on the, on the road of coming from Martha to be a Mary. And let's go into pictures. And this is how I'll end. Um, this is a very famous painting by a very famous artist, um, Martha and Mary. Now you see Martha's serving, right? Jesus is laying back. And does anybody know who painted this? You can't, Joe, you know. Okay, Joe's not allowed. I'll tell you who it is. It's the same guy who painted this picture. It's Rembrandt. The same. This is the prodigal son. A very famous, couple of great books. Henry Nouwen wrote a great book about it. And, and can I just, I just want to go back because I missed something about Henry Nouwen. I want to say something about him and about sitting before the Lord. Henry Nouwen said something very interesting. Catholic, sorry. He said, all these years, I got up in the morning and I sat before the Lord, feel like I wasted my time, not being able to concentrate, but I sat and it changed my life. And that has resonated with me more and more. I've got to build out time, not just because of my laundry list. I have a list of prayers I do for certain people. But honestly, to me today, that's not as important as sitting before God and listening to him. So we have, we have the, 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 uh, the prodigal son, a very famous painting, obviously. So we understood that Rembrandt was probably a brother in Christ because of things he wrote and things that he painted, like this one. This is the crucifixion of Christ that Rembrandt painted. The guy in the middle... In the blue, can you see it? Can you see the blue? Let me see. How is it? I'll sit down here. That's hard to see. If you see the guy in the blue, that's Rembrandt. It's a self-portrait. Saints, if you can paint the picture that the world's going to see, and you're in the middle of putting Christ on the cross, you got the gospel. You understand it. The guy was a believer. I'm leading up to one picture, okay? Also, it doesn't work from down here, the clicker. You know what's interesting about Rembrandt was most of his um, drawings back then were more popular than his paintings, believe it or not. He went through, this is probably one of the first, he, he probably drew about four or five until he did his painting. So there were like five to one drawings, but they were more popular in the 1600s when he was, I don't know why, I, I, but this is probably one of the first drawings, and it's, Re, and it's Rembrandt's drawing of the prodigal son. Here's a very famous picture by Rembrandt. It's called the Hundred Gilder painting. Because it went for 100 guilders back then, which is like 100 million. You know, Picasso goes for 100 million. This was the first artwork that really broke the mold. And what we do today is, like today, it went for an astronomical amount of money. Matter of fact, it changed hands a few times at 100 guilders each. It's very famous. People go into about who's on his right and who's on his left. And what they say is, it looks like the rich are on his right and the poor are on his left. But really, he kind of switched people, they think. The, his rich folks, he made them poor. And the poor that he knew, he made him rich on the side of the, on his drawing. So it's quite interesting. But here's the painting that I want to talk about and finish with. It's a painting of Martha. It's an etching of Martha and Mary. They just found this about 50 years ago. Celia and I were coming back from Pennsylvania on vacation, and we stopped because we knew some Rembrandt paintings were being on display in a particular um, uh, museum. And they found it, and they said, what happened to the left side? Right? The left side of that painting. He said, it must have been, they left it out in the sun, somebody spilled water on it, um, maybe some nice Italian wine got spilled on it, I don't know. With all the testing that they could do today, they realize it isn't. It wasn't. It's perfect, the paper. So what happened? Take a look. Mary, over there on the right, perfectly at peace, reading. She's well-defined. She looks at ease. Now look who's on the left. 
Martha. Metallic, cold, not even lifelike, right? You can't even tell where she ends and the darkness begins around her. And she's got a bucket. Come on, Martha. Give me a break. I stood before that painting, and that's why this is half testimony for me. And it really crushed me because I realized, you know, maybe I'm not really living because I'm more Martha than Mary. I mean, at that point, I felt I was totally Martha. Saints, that's the difference in pictorial of those of me, of those of us, who go through life walking and standing and doing very little sitting and don't realize that you realize you've been seated with Christ and you're seated with him in heavenly places and working that out on a daily basis by sitting in front of him. This guy knew what he was on about. And actually, that, that is on my iPad. When I open up my iPad, it's there every day, so I see that. And so I'm going to talk to you, for all you us Marthas out there, you know, saints, again, it, it really is that we're, we're on our way to being Mary and coming from Martha. But if you read the back of the book, we win. Jesus won. You know, we are going to have a banquet party, and I want to be part of that party. And saints, it's a lifelong process. You know, it's like being born again, right? It, you get born again, and what happens is, is it a lifelong process as... as Lincoln Island. Um, as Pastor Linda said, you know, some of us, we, 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 go through, we have baptism and things become a little more clearer with us. You know, uh, again, we had some um, friends of ours who, you know, they get born again, bang, they knew it. Um, you ask somebody, when did you get born again? They say, well, I was March 13th, 1975. It was raining. It was a Friday. I know it. It was a Friday. It was perfect. And my life changed. And then some people, you ask, when did you get born again? They're going, you know, I said the prayer in 86, but maybe 89. I'm not really sure. Sometimes it kind of goes through a pregnancy kind of thing. You know, you're just kind of not sure. It's piece by piece. It's the same thing with this kind of revelation, saints, that comes with us. It, it's a lifelong process for most of us. I would love to be like, watch me, who got it? He read the book and he's like, I got it. I got it. Right? And he did the same thing with this Galatians 2.20. He was dead. He was running around town going, I'm dead, I'm dead, I'm dead. But it's also two steps forward and one step back. God is in the two steps forward, but he's also in the one step back because he knows we're human. One of the issues I had to deal with, and I, and I hope you, you grab this, um, I thought I was a human trying hard to be a spiritual person, and I realized I'm actually an eternal spirit trying hard to be human. I'm having difficulty being a human. If you can grab that somehow, your soul is eternal. You're just, you're, we're just kind of flowing through here, right? Have you forgot whose trip you're on? You know, have you forgot whose game it is? So I'll end up with saying in St. Paul, on a good note, and saying, let's, say, let's be confident in this very thing, that he who began a good work with you will complete it until the day of Christ. Saints will all be Mary one day. Guys, I hate to say it, but we're all going to be Marys. We want to be Marys. That's my goal is to be a Mary. And I think it should be yours to all of us. Because you want that Mary to happen here and not up there. I mean, eventually it'll happen, right? Here or in eternity, it's going to happen. You'll be sitting with Christ. But it's better if it happens here, no? There's the banquet table, saints, that we're all going to be at, hopefully. You've been invited to the banquet table. And once we get there, we're going to have a great time. It's going to be a wonderful day. But in the meantime, we don't have the banquet table. We have this table. So if it's all right, I'll be going right into the table. You see, what's, what's, what's up is down again, saints, with the table. 
these are bread and, and the wine. What, what, what constitutes the bread and the wine? Since the bread is really grains that grew up and were harvested and crushed and made for us to partake of. And the same with the wine, right? Grapes, grown up, beautiful, wonderful, taken, harvested, stomped on, crushed for you and me. And that's why, they rep- that's why it was so interesting. When it represented what happens with Jesus with us, right? He was, he was a wonderful, beautiful grain harvest season, right? And the grapes of, were beautiful. And he willingly got harvested for us and crushed so we could partake of him and live that life. So if the ushers would get ready and we can come forward. Saints, I just want to end with a, with a prayer. And um, thank you for your time. You know, the Lord is real, and he really wants to be fully in all our lives. And for a lot of my past years, I haven't let him fully be there, you know? As Dana Congdon would sang a, a song many years ago, Lord, every key, right? Every key, Lord. And I think for those of us who have been running quite quickly in Long Island traffic, maybe you need some guy on the side of the road that just with a big sign that says, slow down. Right? Don't miss that exit, because if you miss that exit, it might be a couple more years before you get to another exit. And here's our exit. You know, this is where we get off. This is where we start, saints. If you really, if you really say, you know what, Lord, I'm more of a Martha than Mary. I kind of see it. Let it start with the, with the table. Let it start with me saying, let, Lord, show me. Show me not who I am, but also how, where do I go from here? What do I do? And just let the Lord's love rain down on you. podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.